we call ourselves social cinema. We call ourselves people cinema. You can literally go on through our social channels and ask to see a movie. And if it gets enough comments and, and likes, we'll show it for you. You know, you can't awesome. do that in any main cinema. And, and that's what it's about. It's about bringing the social and the community back to film. You're listening to Biz Ninja Entrepreneur Radio. This show was created for entrepreneurs, business owners, marketers, and dreamers who want to learn from the experts of today and drastically shortcut their own success to build a business that supports their dream lifestyle. Since 2011, Tyler Jorgensen has been interviewing business thought leaders from around the world. A serial entrepreneur himself, Tyler also shares his personal insights into what's working in business today. Welcome to Biz Ninja entrepreneur radio welcome out to biz ninja entrepreneur radio i'm your host tyler jorgensen and today we have jerry coddle who has founded one of the coolest businesses that i've seen in a while and i see businesses <laughs> every day every week all the time i see uh you know i see another another cookie place or another make your own pizza place but this is amazing uh jerry has founded rooftopcinemaclub.com and they are taking on the entertainment space. They're taking on cinema, but not having to open these massive uh, venues and all this and deal with all this real estate. So welcome out to the show, Jerry. We're super excited to chat with you. Yeah, thanks, Tyler. Pleasure to be here. Really appreciate the support. Thank you. So you got a great accent. I think that's from Nashville, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, Nashville, London in Nashville. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So you're you're over here taking over uh, American cinema. How did you get this idea? So to be honest, uh, Rooftop Cinema Club is an open air film experience screening classic, cult, and recent film releases. But really, what for me? And open air cinema has been around honestly for over a hundred years. You know, in the early 1900s uh, is when you first saw. I think Australia some of the first kind of areas where it's seen. But for me, I wanted to. I'm um, born in entertainment. And so I'm from a circus background, so I've always loved entertainment. Uh, when I was traveling with the circuses as a kid, I always watched, you know, we couldn't get TV very much because we couldn't get the aerial working. It was in, you know, a farmer's field in the middle of nowhere. Those were the days. Uh, so I'd watch a lot of film. I'd watch a lot of VHS back in those days. So I combined my love of entertainment with my love of film and to create the experience. But really, um, what it started for was I wanted to um, relive my favorite movies. So when I was young, I loved movies like Top Gun and Back to the Future and Dirty Dancing and The Goonies. They were like 87, late 80s movies. Those I couldn't see those movies in the cinema. I was too young. So I wanted to go and see those favorite movies on the big screen. And I wanted to do it with a beer in my hand. So I literally found this rooftop in London. Uh, I put up a screen. I invited my mates around. And I, I started playing my uh, my DVD collection. I don't know if they even sell those things anymore, do they? But um, And that's what it was. It was a passion to do great events and uh, sharing those moments. But it really was about um, seeing film, uh, seeing my favorite movies in a whole new light. Um, you know, getting off the sofa, getting out, seeing them. Uh, probably for the 10th or 20th time, but in a whole new setting. Brings back the magic. It really does. It changes the experience. Uh, seeing a movie on the big screen versus seeing on... And everyone watches on their phones now. So it's such yeah. a... It's not like you're moving from a, a TV to the big screen. You're moving from a tiny screen to the big screen. What... Um, now, there had to have been some challenges as you were, you know, navigating this, right? Getting permission to be on roofs, get, making sure there was enough chairs and headphones and all these kind of things. When you pivoted from doing this as a hobby and a passion into a business, what was the biggest oh. challenge that you had to overcome and how did you overcome it? So there's kind of two two parts to that. And thanks for the great question. Is um So in England, really, the biggest challenge straight away was the weather. You know, the enemy, the weather. Uh, let's be honest, London's not known for its weather. Many other things, but definitely not its weather. 
So for me, um, one thing was the weather with that. It was a basic, we just had to kind of see how, you know, we learned off the public, off members of the public. And we created this system where we put the power into the public's hands. So you can, we screen rain or shine in the UK, not here in the States, it's slightly different. Uh, we actually cancel with any rain, but we made sure that we created a system where people could cancel as they're coming up to the screening. We informed them uh, of how, you know, how we're going to approach the night. And so really people never felt that they were going to go to a bad experience. So that was a learning curve. It's funny because in England, when we started cancelling people, were complaining that they, they wanted to come they don't mind a bit of drizzle so we actually had to make it so the screening went on but you had a choice to cancel here in the states um you know people um it's very important especially in places like in la where you know the rain is a big factor because it doesn't rain very much here we we have a system where we monitor the, the weather both online on apps but also our managers are on site and we we make a call the big thing is we make sure we, we give people the best experience. So we don't, if it's heavy rain, we'll definitely cancel. With a bit of drizzle, we let people know it's their choice if they want to come along. That was number one. The other uh, big factor we had in the early days was um, sound. We're on a rooftop. We're in built-up areas. So open-air cinema has always been, you know, at a castle somewhere or, you know, a special location next to a, a nice lake or somewhere like that. But obviously sound wasn't such a problem. Here we had our neighbours literally next door to the, the venue. We're like, oh my God, what? we've got to keep the neighbours happy. And so I'm not joking, about 10 days before I was about to start my first cinema, the owners came along to me and they said, Jerry said, we've got a problem. We don't upset the neighbours. You've got to use something else. You know, and I'm like, oh my God, this is it. I'm finished. What can I do? And I, anyway, I thought about it and I thought, well, can I plug some headphones into a big box? And that just didn't, you know, so that's going to be an absolute mess. And so I ended up getting silent disco headphones. And I put these headphones on. And the first screening I did was a screening of Stand By Me. And if you know that film, it's 89 minutes long. It's probably one of the shortest movies you can play. And the reason I did that is I thought, I don't know what people are going to think about this. Um, and as most things out of crisis comes opportunity, um, you know, when you're doing business. And actually, at the end of the screening, people walked up and they said, I love the headphones. They're amazing. I'm in the film. The wind doesn't disturb the sound. There's no rustling sweet packets. And so what was a, an absolute catastrophe at the beginning became one of our USPs. And now, even if we can play um, amplified sound, we don't. We always use our headphones and we're known for introducing those to the cinema world. You're in uh, quite a few locations. You're, you got two two locations in London. Then you're in Chicago, mm. Fort Worth, Houston, Miami, LA, San Diego, New York. You got a, quite a few locations. When did you realize, okay, this is something that we're actually going to take in, and grow? Uh, in the early days, I read that um, book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And, uh, and uh, I really enjoyed that. And it really taught me to kind of move across uh, different uh, different jobs, different experiences. And I got, you know, I went to work for some big brand names and every time I got a job offer, I moved on. So I really sort of created created this knowledge of how to run events and marketing. So I think in the first week, I did a special kind of 50% off offer. Uh, and then within, uh, within a week, it just started selling out. And it started selling out, you know, in a matter of hours. I think that was the first thing of going, okay, great, this is, this has caught the imagination, got some really good PR for it, used my skills that I'd learned over the previous 10 years. But I suppose the moment when I really came to think maybe this could be something bigger was when um, in the second year, the start of the second year, American Express came to me and they said, look, we are concierge service, which is where you call up and you can ask for tickets to anything. They're inundated with calls. You've got to remember, this is one venue with 150 people in London, you know, huge, you know. 
uh, mega city. So it was really sought after. And they came and said, look, we want to sponsor you because we want to get access to your tickets. And so, A, that was fantastic for me to be associated with such an amazing, uh, amazing, you know, brand as American Express. Great for them because they're getting, you know, uh, special access for their customers. So that's when it really felt like, uh, you know, I think I'm onto something here. And uh, and we started working together and they were our first major sponsor. And uh, yeah, that's when I really knew there was potential for this to grow bigger and bigger. And then I just kept knocking on doors. Really. Yeah, okay. that's pretty amazing. So you had one spot, 150, you know, were you doing one screening a night? So two or three yeah. screenings a week? Or were you at that point, were already, were you nightly or is it kind of a weekend yeah. thing? No, no. So it started off, I think, five nights a week with the oh, venue, cool. but we literally soon boosted up to seven nights a week. But in London, with the sun setting so late, this is another reason I can talk about it late, why we came to the States. Well, right. I, love, I love the US, but um, was we do one one night. So we used to literally screen at maybe 20 past nine in, in the evening by the time the sun sets. So again, a really difficult place to do outdoor cinema, but kind of the birth of this, that's the irony. It's like, you know, yeah. give up, always try things. Uh, so that was it really. Yeah, so we started doing one screen and it was seven days a week and then we ran for the whole summer and the next summer, I added another venue in Kensington. And then from there on, we built up to five venues in London and eventually, you know, came over to New York and LA in 2015, uh, kind of four years after we'd started in London. I love it. Um, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm checking out on your site. Now you've got upcoming shows. You've got dirty dancing and Pulp Fiction. You got yeah. Jurassic Park, uh, La La Land. You know, as you move from projecting your own DVDs into, you know, you know, probably doing things more, you know, on the up and up, how did you navigate licensing and these kind of things? Was that hard to figure out? Yeah, well, luckily, actually, so in the UK, uh, in the UK, it's a you know, it's all by one source, Film Bank. They own it, and that's all the studios together. Over in America, there's a great company called Swag. We work closely with, so we built those relationships. The biggest thing for us is um, kind of understanding what works, and that really has been experimentation. What I love about this industry, but also is kind of my biggest bugbear, is you never know really what people are thinking. So I play films like Top Gun, and, and you mentioned Dirty Dancing, and they just you know they've been selling for ten years, and people still they just so close to people's hearts you know those movies and then sometimes I'd, I'd go on a search i used to go out a lot and ask people what do you want to see we we call ourselves social cinema we call ourselves people's cinema you can literally go on to our social channels and ask to see a movie and if it gets enough comments and, and likes we'll show it for you you know you can't awesome. do that in any main cinema and, and that's what it's about it's about bringing the social the community back to film and we really want you know we program what we think is great and I must say, one of our biggest things that I'm proud of is our program is constantly evolving. We're always supporting diversity. We're all supporting great directors, um, different areas of film because it's so important. And we've always done that. But really, where it becomes challenging is, you know, for, for example, I spent ages trying to get the rights to, um, uh, you know, Flight of the Navigator, uh, which I loved as a kid. I loved that movie. And I started playing it. didn't sell. I'm like, everyone loves this movie. I just Some movies just, you know, A Little Shop of Horrors never, never sold. And there's other movies you put on and they just live on forever. So, you, yes, you can normally find movies that you think people are going to like, but you don't know until you play them. One thing I would say with Rooftop is, you know, we're really about escapism. All films about escapism, right? But with us, it's about getting there early, socialising, you know, talking about your favourite film, then watching it on the big screen as the sun sets and the stars begin to sparkle. Uh, and that's what makes it very, very different. Um, but yeah, there's a constant search to what people want. But these feel-good movies that really work for us, we've found over the years. They're the ones um, people can really let their hair down at the end of a hard day's work. Yeah. That's great. Now, uh, in traditional cinema, a lot <coughs> of the money is made in concessions. Right. Yeah. So in this situation, are you guys controlling the, the concessions or is this a partnership you have with the venues? 
how are you yeah. um, how are you navigating that part of the business yeah lovely you mentioned that it just you know you're right uh someone once said to me a, a cinema is a glorified sweet shop so <laughs> it's like and actually that's a very true saying and, and now since i've run a cinema business I, I have less issue with paying uh you know a high amount for popcorn because really that's where the money's made the good news with our business model and always happy to share is again it's a variation but we have a mix we we still pay high film rights and so that you have to do that but because we're not playing new releases the rate we normally know what our our, um, our margins are so that makes a big difference where new releases um when they come out they can vary from you know anything from 50 to you know i've been told 90 percent. i don't know if that's true but um that you know i think when the james bonds come out and stuff like that there's a variation at least with us we know what our percentages are we can work on that and then yes food and drink is a, an important part because that's really where the icing on the cake the the, you know, the drinks the alcohol the the popcorn these sweets that's where we make our money but we're luckily we just have a bit more knowledge the big difference in our business model is that um the studios which we love and we work closely with obviously when a new release comes out a normal cinema has to play you know fast and furious 10 coming out next year or jurassic world with us we don't we we're not kind of dictated to about what we have to play we we take film and we say, look, guys, we think you're going to love Top Gun, you know, and we're going to do it in this way. And we're going to have a DJ with it. And we're going to do this, you know, a themed party afterwards. We take the movies we love and we, we um, give, breathe new life into them. I think really for the studios, um, I think it, it's great business. You've got to, uh, these are films that, uh, you know, 15 years ago were, weren't shown in the cinema anymore. Or if you did see them, you saw them in some out of town film. You know, we've been very lucky and proud to be able to bring them back and, and give them the, 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 the second showing they deserve. You're taking your experience. I didn't know that you had a background in the circus, right? But the circus yeah, isn't just yeah. the, the one moment in the middle of the circus, right? The, the main ring. There's the sideshows and there's the other and the, the smaller rings and the, and the whole experience comes together yeah. to make it the circus that, that memorable childhood experience, right? That maybe doesn't happen right. as much anymore. But no, that, right. instead of just showing up, watching a movie, leaving, you've really transformed the whole experience into an event and, and bringing back that escapism into really what yes, we need today. Exactly. I feel like that's, for me, I feel like that's what retail needs to have happen. And that's what a lot of the in-person commerce needs to yeah. have is what can happen there that can only happen there. Right. And that is the social and that is the uh, the experiential. Um, so I think that's really, really totally cool. But, uh, how are you deciding where you go next? How are you exciting? I mean, it seems like you're, you've got quite a few locations, but there's probably a good amount of demand. How are you picking yeah. where to go? So firstly, one of the reasons I um, I came to the glorious United States, A, I spent a lot of childhood here. Uh, I love it. I used to travel with my family. We used to get a minibus, about 10 of us. We used to go to Denny's, which everyone laughs at me about. Um, used to used to stop up at Denny's, go around Vegas, you know, go all around, this, yeah, all over, all over America. So I love that side of it. But really, um, within season three in England, I was uh, stood on my rooftop one day and uh, I was uh, wringing out my socks. They were that wet from the rain. And I thought, this is great. And and we have our moments here and it's still very successful and does a great job in London. And, you know, we just, like I said, we just navigate the rain. And I thought there's got to be more to this. And so I came to America and the first thing we wanted to do, um, we actually did start New York because we thought it's this kind of closest thing to London to, to test the formula. But after that, it was about going to the Sunshine State. So over to California and now we're doing Texas. We're also in Miami, over up in Miami. Okay, we do things like Chicago as well. And obviously they're shorter season. So we do do both sides of the business. But the key thing for us, is um, is making sure that I think initially is to get those longer seasons. That's number one. So can we build our core business in the longer season? Number two, just great cities that are modern cities, you know, from Houston all the way even 
places like Fort Worth. It's got a great nightlife. It's a modern city. It's, people are going out, they're enjoying things. They they want to spend their money to do something different. We just look for cities that are bustling, uh, have a good uh, sense of uh, having fun, wanting to have good restaurants, good bars, etc. Because uh, we're part of that kind of experienced nighttime economy. That makes sense. So have you, do you consider yourself uh, a lifelong entrepreneur or are you an entertainer turned entrepreneur? So I've always loved business. So I grew up, even when I was at school, I was putting on parties at, you know, when I say school, college probably is probably the best way to define it. But I was hiring nightclubs and things like that. I was always trying to, you know, putting parties on. And then I was, you know, getting my friends who were sword swallowers to come down and do an act on the stage. And so I got some, so, so I think, Luckily, because of my upbringing, there was always a, a want or need to do something different. And so even though I spent many years you know, in London doing marketing, PR and events and stuff like that, there was always a thirst to want to do something different and create something fun and exciting. I just knew that um, as soon as I started on uh, working on rooftop, that I'd rather work 15 hours for myself and two hours for someone else. And there was always that thing. So I suppose that answers the entrepreneur. Plus also my dad being a very successful businessman and touring shows and stuff from a very young age, I'd go into his office for hours at a time, sit there reading his books, reading all the, you know, the, the, the science of selling and just all these different ways. So I suppose I was very happy. Kind of, I, I had this sense that I wanted to make sure I was educating myself before I started my business. So I definitely did that into my late twenties, but there was always a burning desire to do my own thing. If that answers your question. So I suppose yeah, life does. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I wanted to get the education first. Yeah. Yeah. What's one uh, business lesson that you learned from the circus that you still apply oh. today? <laughs> uh, well, the big one really is, and this is something my, my dear dad taught me, was um, he used to say to me, Jerry, you can have a kettle that boils in a second. You can have one of the greatest inventions in the world. But if no one knows it's there, it doesn't matter. And I think, you know, no one's invented a kettle of balls in a second just yet. But the point is, I think a lot of people have great ideas and they assume that because it's a great idea, then it's going to work. That's not true. There's many great ideas out there. It's about how you announce it and the awareness you create. So he was very big on that. Almost, you know, P.T. Barnum, you know, I think was, they say is America's first millionaire. He was, he was very much that P.T. Barnum school of training, which is you've got great ideas and make sure you find ways to communicate that to the wide, to the wide audience. So he taught me a lot about promotion, awareness, having fun, not taking yourself too seriously, uh, you know, laughing at yourself, trying different things, taking risks, calculated risks. So, um, that's, I think the circus is all about that, right? The circus is the original place of, you know, the, the sword swallow that we, or the bearded lady originally all the way through to having, you know, the, the, the fantastic acts and the animal acts and the flying trapezes. It was all about these wow factor that created, um, something special and, and gave those lasting memories to, you know, boys and girls and mums and dads. So I think the promotional side, the awareness, the, uh, not wrestling on your laurels was the big thing from there. And uh, I think as we go on, also it's show business. Things change. It was very unpredictable. So getting into business, yes, you may have a plan, but it's uh, a plan is always the first casualty. Making sure you're able to be uh, to adapt to the changing landscapes and doing it with a smile. I've always, you know, say to my team, when things change, yes, we you know we can look at it and go, that's unfortunate, but let's look at how we can make it better. Because while um, you know, if we're moaning about it, our competitor is uh, finding ways to solve the problem. So we try not to moan about it for too long and get on with finding a solution. And that adaptive way of working in the circus was huge. Sometimes we, you know, we get stuck in the mud. Um, we'd have to pull all the trailers out and then we'd be late for the next ground, but we had to find ways to keep going. We had to come to keep trucking. 
uh, yeah. there was a real that kind of that real coming together, really um, making things happen against all the odds was very prevalent in the, the surface world. I think you just hit two of the most important things about entrepreneurship that I think the two that get overlooked probably the most, which I think is yeah. really significant that those are the two that you hit on. So one, you hit on uh, promotion, right? You said the idea, like what your, it was your father that, that taught you that lesson? Yeah. 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 And yeah, it's brilliant because there's a yeah. saying here yeah. that I hear at business schools all the time. That's, uh, you know, if you, if you just invent a better mousetrap, the entire world will beat down their door to find it. And I'm like, no, they don't even know yeah. it exists. Yeah. Like if they don't know that you've invented the better mousetrap, no one is going to give you a dollar, right? You have to promote yeah. The, be- the better mousetrap, yeah. right? That's yeah. and so usually not the best product wins, usually the best marketing wins, right? Um, yeah. And then the second one of adaptability. So many uh, first round entrepreneurs think that if something doesn't work right the first time, that means it's a bad idea or a bad product and they should just call it and they tuck their tail between their legs and run home. But really adaptability, the ability to pivot and adjust and listen. And I... I my favorite thing so far of everything that you guys are doing is how you listen to the customers. Hey, you Absolutely. you guys have said you want that that movie. Like if there's enough comments, we'll do it, right? Like building Ooh. your community to help enhance the product for the community. It's such a great virtuous cycle. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, you know, start with the customer, work backwards. All the, all these different factors we get told, but we must not forget as we go forward in business. It's that thing, is that you can put things in it. You know, I try and simplify things in business. I put them into three pots. It's people, customers, and finance. You know, people, obviously, great people to make sure you're they're building a business. Without them, you're nothing. The customers, they're your number one focus. They're paying the bills. They uh, are, you know, making sure they, they're coming to your 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 product or your show or whatever you're doing. And of course, you know, watching costs, making sure the bottom line is good so you can keep the business floating. But really, it's, yeah, your point is the, the customers are you know, part of that key, those key factors. Which one of those three people, customers, and finance uh, do you find that you need the most help with? And how are you getting that support? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so I think uh, people, I think it's, uh, you know, there's lots of great people out there, but it's, yeah, it's finding good people. There's lots of great people out there. Um, and But yeah, it just takes time. We obviously, lots of good people are in good places. So I think it's very hard. Uh, customers, it, both really it's 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 just not also taking them for granted it's it's constantly looking at ways to improve what you do um we're always so customer focused from literally the research we do through our social channels to the you know like i said listening to them it's so important i think also there is this idea that uh you know we're not approached it yet but as brands grow their customer base changes and you've got to keep on top of that as well and uh there's the fact that when you you have a new product very often you've got a certain customer, you've got to kind of the movers and shakers get into it. But as your product gets bigger and becomes more um, successful, those people move around to another product. So then you have another audience that comes in and it's how do you track that and you keep on top of that. It's the constant engagement uh, with the customer to make sure you are uh, listening to them. Um, but yeah, that that's, uh, to me, that's what I love about business. It's so unpredictable. Um, uh, and that's what makes it fun. <laughs> it's not for the, yeah. I think it's not for the faint heart. And I think a lot of people get that wrong. It's, it's great. That's for um, sure. You know, but uh, I think everyone, you know, comes in and thinks, um, uh, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I want to go to the big networking events. Look, that's fine. We'll go to some networking. But I can tell you now, as my job, uh, mostly what lands on my desk is a problem. Uh, not uh, an invite to a show or a new event. And my job is a problem solving. I think just if you're going to get into business, make sure you've got a good support network, potentially a co you know a co partner as well to help you out. But also understand that it's um, you know you're going to have a lot of problems to solve, 
and enjoy solving problems. Otherwise you're in the wrong business. That's for sure. So when you, you got started with, you know, just a couple of ideas, but how big is your team now? Like so, team here about 150. Got about 150. Yeah, so, what what have you yeah. had to do differently as a leader with 150 team members versus when it was you know the first five or ten of you? Yeah, fantastic. Well, it's systems, isn't it? Systems and approaches. So, making sure we have um, good people and good systems, so we can we can get give feedback and get good feedback straight off. And that's number one as you start to grow. I think when you're six or seven, you can do it there. Um, just making sure you're a good listener, because I think you have a vision as well, but you've got to make sure that actually um, you're not the expert in everything. And uh, I, I learned very young is uh, don't have an ego. And, um, and make sure you, uh, you know, you hire people smarter than you. Uh, if, I, <laughs> so I've got, I've got some strengths. My, I know what my strengths are, but, um, it's making sure that, yeah, look, I try and guide and, and, but I make sure I listen to my, my team leaders and, and when they've got a problem, I listen to them. And I have an opinion because I also, I've got some experience in that area. Sure. That's the reason where I am. But really, it's about making sure you listen to be able to grow the team. I think everyone just thinks, you know, I'm the leader. Let's get on with this. In my way, behind that, that's you know, that's so old fashioned. But I'm it surprised is. how many people still still um, go towards that, um, that that form of leadership. We're very flat. You know, we run this very flat. We make sure everyone has autonomy. I want to trust people. We delegate and make sure um, that people feel part of something instead of just a, a cog in, in the machine. That's huge. So it's growing. It's about bringing that autonomy into all areas of the business to help the team grow, help them. And I think also education has been a key factor, knowing that there's more currencies than just pay. Um, we make sure that funds one of our currencies. We make sure education is part of that mentorship to help grow the different people, um, not just the directors or the team leaders, but also the younger members of the team. Um, uh, all those factors. There's so many currencies that motivate people and just making sure you find time for those things because I think when you're a startup, um, it, sometimes it is controlled chaos and you are trying to pay the bills and get bums and seats which we call it putting bums and seats in the, in, yep. in, you know, the cinema but um, you must stop and take a breath and make sure you're um, harnessing the creative talent that's around you and giving them what sense. they deserve they put their time and effort into you just because you pay it doesn't mean they should stay with you you've got to give them more than that <laughs> I agree I agree yeah. now so speaking of getting good. more than that and giving more than that to yeah. me entrepreneurship isn't the end all be all but it's about creating the lifestyle that you want and that you love what is one item on Jerry's personal bucket list that you're yeah. going to accomplish in the next 12 months now personally in terms of what i want to do in the business no not I, in the business you personally uh i've got good balance since um you know covid has helped me to balance myself more good. um i've got a young family and i've always you know you know done my very best to be a good dad i believe that being successful is about you know in all areas of your life not just you know running a business great i can run a business but am i a good father am i a good husband etc those things with me personally what would i like to do Honestly, I need to uh, make sure I take quality time for myself. Sometimes I tend to have time off, but I'm still kind of one foot in working. So I need to do, make sure, even though I spend quality weekends and evenings with the family, I need to have some, unless that's crazy, but have some actually uh, some better holidays. <laughs> no, it's, that's not crazy uh, at all. That's actually super important, especially as yeah, for an entrepreneur. Yeah, and wow. I, do, I do have that. There's been times in the early days I did that. Then times when we kind of hit COVID and it was, you know, ex- times of extreme stress, I yeah. had to kind of buck on and just put the hours in. But I want to get back to making sure there's a balance in the work-life balance. Even though, obviously, we're running the company, I expect that things are going to be a lot different. Well, that's fine. That's what I signed up for. I'm good for that. Well, that makes yeah. sense. So um, I hope that you guys have enjoyed this episode and this this interview that's with it. Jerry. Uh, Rooftop Cinema Club, you can find them all over the socials. You can find them on 
on the internet. And uh, but really, if you're in one of those areas where uh, they where they serve, you got to find them on a rooftop and go enjoy one of your favorite films. Uh, bring it back to life. Jerry, thanks so much for coming out on the show. And to all of my biz ninjas, wherever you're listening, watching, streaming, or downloading, it's your turn to go out and do something. Thank you for tuning in to Biz Ninja Entrepreneur Radio. What you didn't hear was one more very important question that Tyler asks each guest. If you want to be a fly on the wall when the real secrets are shared, go to bizninja.com slash VIP and get your access today. Remember to subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And our one last favor, if this episode was meaningful to you, please share this podcast with a fellow entrepreneur so they can grow along with us. Biz Ninjas, it's your turn to go out and do something.